Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to The Checkout. It's a podcast that you are subscribed to. Are you subscribed to Jazz United 2? Both of those podcasts you can get by going to our homepage, produced at WBGO Studios, WBGO.org. When strangers start putting up random bootlegs of you and your solos, I guess you've now become a thing. Here you're listening to one of our own recordings, that's right, from WBGO that mysteriously popped up on the internet. I don't even know where this is in our own archives. But here is a 21-year-old Corey Henry performing at JNR Music World store downtown Manhattan with the saxophonist Kenny Garrett. You remember that place? That's crazy. I was like, bang, that's so, that's crazy. J and R music. I was like, I forgot about the call Kitty Gary. Like, you remember we played that game? <laughs> the music store. For Corey Henry, there seems to be nothing stopping him right now. His talent is kind of like a freight train. Recently, he reached a new milestone. Yes, the Grammys have been postponed, but he's nominated for four of them right now. Two with Kanye West, one with Eric Bellinger, and Corey Henry's album, Something to Say, is nominated in the Best Progressive R&B Album category. And his new recording that dropped recently, Best of Me, maybe that'll get some shine too. But we're here not to talk about any of that, actually. In fact, we're here to give all the Corey Henry heads something else to explode their brains with. A new recording from our NPR Music Toast of the Nation celebration. A mind-melting show that took place at the Blue Note in New York back in September. And we're going to link to it on our website, the full set at checkoutjazz.org. And what's so cool and unique about this particular show, it's Henry's reflection of taking his first steps to being the artist he is today. Maybe as a composer, most definitely as a band leader. Corey, welcome to the show. Uh, you made me feel good. I appreciate it. I was like, wow, tell me more. I didn't I forgot about that. That's crazy. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for the uh, amazing intro. I'm so glad to be here uh, on the show, man. And um, um, yeah, man, talking about first steps. This, you know, was one of my um, uh, favorite projects. You know, it was one of the first projects that I put out in which I writ- wrote all the songs. And and um, uh, I'm really proud of it when I look back at the time of that. So, man, thanks for even bringing that up. <laughs> I have to tell you the story about, uh, about Corey. I actually uh, first uh, saw Corey playing at the Village Underground, and uh, he was singing behind this singer, and uh, the singer was kind of in, in between the cracks, and it sounded like he was playing giant stuff behind the singer, and I was like, wow, who is this guy? <laughs> and so I went to the Village Vanguard. Someone was playing there, and I ran into Robert Glasper. I said, man, I heard this young kid, man, he was down at the Village Underground, he said, yeah, man, that's him right here. I said, no, man, but he had his hat on backwards. I said, that's not the guy. <laughs> and so, um, you know, at that time, I, was, I thought about Corey, you know, as, you know, as, as joining the band. Hearing you with Kenny Garrett right here from 2008, it definitely doesn't sound like the Corey Henry of today.
is it fair to say that you are still discovering your artistic voice then? Absolutely, absolutely. I think at that particular time I was making a huge step. Well, it seems like I'm always trying to make a huge step, but uh, I remember one of my first steps <laughs> uh, um, out of uh, uh, growing up, growing up playing in church and then um, transitioning from church to playing in, uh, you know, in jazz clubs and the underground jazz club across from the Blue Note where we got this concert. Yeah, underground and those types of things. It was like uh, I was trying to do something else. And then along came Kenny Garrett coming down to the underground, actually. And he sort of sniped you. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, all right, let's go. <laughs> You know, I've always wanted to play jazz, always wanted to play R&B, always wanted to do like all these different types of music, you know, country, gospel, the whole thing. And um, I'm, I'm glad to be able to do that, especially at that time. And I've definitely changed at this particular point, which is years and years down the line in terms of my musical taste and what I'm listening to, how I like to play, how I communicate and the whole thing, so. Well, let's listen to uh, a song that did not make the Toast of the Nation uh, celebration, Miss Purdy.
I need you to clap your hands on the two and four like this. Everybody. Luna. Everybody. If you're not eating no chicken, clap your hands right here. Josh, play, man. We just heard Miss Purdy, the live version, with Schwan Andrews drums, Joshua Easley bass, mm -hmm. and our guest on today's show, Corey Henry, recorded in September 2021. We're celebrating material from 2014, First Steps. Miss Purdy, that must be a person. <laughs> no, it's more of an idea. I think about movies and things like that, you know, when the, when the sexy woman walks in, you know, I heard this melody, you know, it was like, sound like, you know, it, it, the picture I, I got from it is, you know, you know, sexy woman enters the club. Yeah, that was it. Your album cover of First Steps, I see some toddler's toes, which I presume to be yours. Nope, those are not my toes. <laughs> those are not my toes. Who is more talented? You or your mom? Oh man, my mom. She played several. She played several different instruments, man. Played sax, the trumpet, you know, drums. She played more instruments than me. You know? That's crazy, right? So mm -hmm. why don't why don't we know her? Why isn't she this legend? I mean, there should we should paint a mural of her. We really should. Um, you know, she was in the New York community in the gospel scene. She was pretty much known. Uh, as a serious musician and singer uh, at the church that I grew up in, our family church, she led the choir. And again, she played, you know, so many instruments. And uh, when I was a kid, getting, getting... How many instruments are we talking about, realistically? Seven, eight, nine. Piano, drums, organ, guitar, bass, flute. I think she played trumpet. I don't know if she played trumpet, but I was told she played trumpet. I'm going to ask my grandma, you know. But she played, like, all the instruments. It's like... It was Wait, crazy. is your mom still with us today, or is she is she left us? No, she's not here. Oh wow, us. I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't know that. 
she passed on when I was uh, five years old. Oh, wow. Five, six years, six years old. Yeah, it's five or six. Um, well, my condolences. Um, wow. Do you have uh, vivid recollections of your mom? Quite a few, actually. She taught me my first song at the age of three years old. I started playing music when I was two years old. What's her full name, by the way? Lily Marie Henry. And uh, she taught me my first song at the age of three. Before three, I was trying to find and discover music on people's laps and on the back of the chairs with spoons and, you know, knives and that kind of thing. Playing the rhythms and going, you know, singing to the songs and stuff like that. Uh, but that at age of three, she was getting ready for a choir rehearsal and I was, she was on the piano and I mimicked um, some notes behind her. Um, and then, you know, shortly thereafter at the age of three, she showed me my first song, which was the which was Amazing Grace. And I had opportunity to play Amazing Grace, you know, in church, what, like on youth Sunday, every fifth Sunday. So there's only what, like three or four, fifth Sunday or something, but, you know, for a year. And then uh, by the time I was four or five, I was able to play not only more songs, but I became like one of the full-time musicians at the church. And um, uh, that's because of my mama. I remember when she showed me Amazing Grace, she used to do this thing. So in church, there are certain chords that make people like, shout and dance you know and and one chord is the diminished chord right so i'll never forget when she showed me how to play amazing grace she told me at the end of the song to go to these churchy chords that, that included the diminished chord that you know sometimes it's kind of weird because amazing grace is like in the major key like she'd be like she'd like play the church chord and i go if you go those chords right there, you know, and uh, and uh, I never forget that because that one lesson stays with me to this day. Just knowing what chords, you know, evoke the emotion, you know, during the song or after the song, um, I get all that from my mama. I re still remember that. Some of her multi instrumentalism rubbed off on you because you play this uh, harpeggi, which sounds like a acoustic guitar made for, I don't know, pianists because you tap at it. <laughs> Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I say if it's like a guitar and piano made a baby, it would come out like that. That's super dope. Well, we, there's a video of you right here uh, covering Stevie Wonder. show on September 25th we have to pay tribute to your mom right here called heart
I love how you use the organ to whisper, getting those low dynamics. Uh, do you experiment with your organ stops and configurations? I just was reviewing an old interview with Booker T. Jones and uh, our old announcer who just retired told the story that all the cats used to hide um, their stops from each other because they didn't want they didn't want uh, other organ players to steal the sounds of the other like if, if an organ player had a sound and, and configured it a certain way it's like this is my sh yeah uh, <laughs> um, I think I used to be like that <laughs> I think I used to be like that but uh, no I think now I look at the organ it's like a it's a big synth or or a big uh, mixing board. And I'm always experimenting with sounds. I do have some go-to sounds, you know. Can you give us a go-to sound? Uh, you know, like my Al Green sound, like the first drawbar out all the way to about eight, you know, and then the second drawbar is like to four, and then the last drawbar is like to like six or so, maybe, depending on if it's the chorus or not, and you get, this sound, okay. and the court and the vibrato is like C1. Uh, uh, what's a good song? I'll read. That's a go to sound. So cool. That's the, the Corey Henry Al Green inspired sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's my thing. It's my thing. Classic, one of those, uh, you know, when I'm trying to sound like something, it's like I think about the 70s. I'm like, oh, I want to sound like the Al Green record. There you go. First steps, going back to this recording, is it fair to guess that you found your artistic voice, Corey Henry, the artist, with first steps? Absolutely. Absolutely, I did. Uh, because I wrote all the songs. I actually released a record before that uh, called Gotcha Now Doc that nobody really it's knows. It's a standards about. record. It's a jazz record. Live yeah. recorded recorded at Rockwood. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so it's like with that one, you know, which is like... You know, Donna play. Lee. You're still playing yeah. that. I saw you with Arturo Sandoval. Oh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. I need to call him after this. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but with First Steps, I was, you know, I was really focused on finding my sound and, and, and finding chords and things that I like to play. And um, um, I wanted to do it with my, with my brothers and people that I love. And um, yeah, it was definitely my, my entrance into finding my voice as an artist. I've had Michael League on this show. Um, is it also fair to say that um, your experience with Snarky Puppy sort of informed you in finding your kind of sound in this hybridization of groove and jazz and R&B and all this stuff. Um, or not? Is that no, too far? Yeah, it's a little far. Okay. Um, but what Snarky did help me with it was realizing what it takes to uh, do things your way, you know? Um, to go against the grain um, and have a vision. You know, I watched Mike with his vision and how focused he was, is, still is, on, you know, and trying to find new ways to make his vision come to pass. You know, I've never in my life been in a van 
where people who came from different parts of, you know, walks of life wanted to come together and play together without uh, overstepping each other and people play their parts and, you know, everyone's supportive, you know, and people are there for the music. You know, we was all there for the music. We was riding, you know, in 15 passenger vans with 22 people, you know, and just, you know, just grinding it out. And that's the stuff that I learned uh, going with Snarky because before that I was with Kenny Garrett and I was with other people, you know, playing gigs and, and, and moving very differently. And uh, uh, and I learned what it was like to be from the ground up. <laughs> uh, 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 how to get things started and, um, and I was very inspired by my time with them um, and, and, and the successes that we share. Yeah. On First Steps, you tap into a kind of a Fela thing, some Afrobeat okay. from Brooklyn. Let's, mm -hmm. let's get it. Yeah, let's get it.
the live version from the Blue Note. I want folks to listen to the live performance at the Blue Note and then go stream the commercial release of First Steps and, and do a compare and contrast. Because what is so cool about this is just the radically different texture and tone uh, of both interpretations of the compositions that we are talking about today. So back when, in 2014, like what I did there, <laughs> that was corny, I know. We'll see if it's <laughs> <laughs> No, man, you was in there. You could have kept rolling. You had an internet viral moment like any musician could ever dream of with Snarky Puppy. Now 29 million and counting the original version of Lingus with Snarky Puppy. In fact, these three minutes and 55 seconds of soloing, if this was the only thing you ever did on this planet Earth, Corey Henry, I think you could have died and you've done enough. So congratulations. So I have a variety of questions uh, stemming from this. First of all, did you know this was special when it was happening uh, in real time? No. I was just playing a solo. Uh, we recorded four to eight different versions of that, that week. We had two recordings per night. So Mike wrote that song maybe about two months or so before we started recording. I can't remember how long it was. But I remember we started playing that on tour and I was getting ready to go to recording in the uh, Netherlands. And um, we had two recordings per night. We started, I think, on Monday or Tuesday, and we went, what, four or five nights. So that's about eight or 10 recordings, I think. And um, each night, I tried something different, you know? And the night that he picked, I don't remember liking that night because I don't think I felt good or something like that. I actually liked a different night, I think. Um, but I remember that the night that he picked, Mike, Michael Lee came to me at the after party or wherever we were at, you know, after the thing and said, yo man, you're so like, you're gonna be famous. And I just laughed at him. I was like, oh man, come on man, shut up. You know, he said, no, I'm dead serious. Like, no, the show like, this is it. And I was like, wow. And the next thing you know, like, but I didn't know. I was like, yeah. I just played, you know, I just was just taking solos and trying to find something cool. And um, I actually can't believe you said 29 million. That's, that's ridiculous. Um, but I'm happy, you know, that's, I'm really happy. That's not even counting like all of the insane variations and permutations that continue to be created to this day on YouTube. I mean, not to mention the endless stream of reaction videos by countless music professors and such. You have like the uh, French singers Camille Barteau and the pianist Domi doing versions of this. 
uh, a saxophonist, a banjo player, a Japanese bamboo flute player. We got a steel pan rendition of this solo. The solo has been posted in reverse on YouTube. That's and I think insane. that has 60,000 views. And honestly, I think my, my, my favorite, this dude playing Guitar Hero, playing your solo in a video game and breaking his, breaking his brain. Have you seen that? In Guitar Hero? It, it looks like Guitar Hero. No sh Holy sh That is an insane. Like, not even kidding, I was shaking for like the last half of the song, which is why I wasn't saying anything. Is this today's version of what Miles Davis did with Kind of Blue or Coleman Hawkins with Body and Soul? Is this going to be one of the most scrutinized and reacted to improvisations of all time? Have you even thought of it? Thought of that question? I don't. I don't think of that, and I don't think about Lingus very often, to be honest. Uh, 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 I'm actually shocked when people bring that up to me and uh, tell me things about it. I did listen and watch the video for like the first time in years, uh, maybe early December or November of last year. And I was shocked for other reasons, <laughs> uh, not so much about the solo, but um, for other reasons, because I had different memories about that night. It's just crazy. You said there's 29 million people. That's, that just blows my mind. I'm, I'm really happy that you know, people think of that solo that way, you know, because I'm always just trying to play different things. Um, um, I don't know if you know that uh, Lingus is now. That's Lingus now, though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you heard about that. I have a little baby named Lingus now. Corey Henry was showing us his dog named Lingus. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow her on Instagram. And uh, Lady Lingus is her name on Instagram. Is there something about growing up in the black church and being able to tap into a higher plateau of being, or at least being groomed to be able to tap into a higher plateau of being, uh, musically speaking? Absolutely, it did. I think, you know, going to church for me was like, you know, the person who gets to go to college, you know, the person who gets to spend the extra four years you know, in a, in a mastering program or something like that. You know, I um, I learned certain things in church that you just can't learn anywhere else. You know, musically and spiritually, the the gospel, the Pentecostal church specifically, they connect the spirit and the music in a way that like I haven't really seen done in you know in other settings. You know, I know other people do it, you know, there's other things happening, you know, when I walk into getting a massage, I hear the music that happens with that and, <laughs> and uh, how peaceful that makes me feel and and uh, the effects of that um, in churches like that on steroids. <laughs> it's like, there's so many different emotions, you know, you know, from the, the, the slow ballad thing and what that's supposed to make you feel and do to the, to the fast paced music and what that's supposed to feel and make you do and anything in between, you know, when I was in church, there was all different type of musical um, outlets, different choirs, you know, uh, a devotional portion of the service where anybody in the entire service can get up and sing a song. You were leading like three or four or five choirs when you were like five years old or something, right? Kind of, or a part of it in some way. I wasn't leading it at five, but I was a part of five. You know, that was probably leading around 10, <laughs> but... <laughs> But I learned so much. It's just like, 
not only was it, you know, a development, but it was also like people took the music serious. Like if you didn't play a certain type of way, they was yelling at you, you know, or screaming at you like, like intensely. <laughs> I mean, I remember one time, you know, I, I, <laughs> I tried to sneak a, some rap song, a Biggie song or something like that. You know, I tried to sneak a Biggie song in a church service and uh, one of the elders of the service, one of the elders said, uh, you play that again, I'll cut your fingers off. I said, oh, damn. <laughs> I was, you know, scared. I won't do that again. I might've did it again somewhere else, another key. But uh, just, you know, like, it's just that kind of seriousness. Like, yo, like, we're not playing around here. Like, you got to bring it. You got to be serious. There's sometimes there's people called uh, a sermonic soloist. And normally the sermonic soloist is singing songs that don't have tempo. You have to like control or follow, like follow how that person is singing. You know, you take a song like Greatest Thy Faithfulness, you know, and, and, and that, that person could be singing their interpretation, but they want you to play what they're singing, you know. Uh, that doesn't really happen, you know. It's like if you're not playing what they're singing, they're looking at you, giving you the hand up, the, the stop symbol, or you know, trying to like get you to play a certain change by singing a certain thing. And it's just so many improv moments that happens in church that doesn't really happen anywhere else. Maybe on jazz, maybe in jazz, of course. I just had so many of those moments, like teaching teaching the choir, teaching the choir parts, and dealing with people who are aren't singers and understanding the thirds and harmonies and like, I was in church five days a week. So <laughs> there's tons of those like, oh, this is only happening here. Oh my Lord, the drummer don't show up. You got to get up and play drums now. Like, <laughs> dang, you know, like, or, or, or you rehearse, you know, four to five, six songs and then you get to Sunday and they sing a whole different set of songs. It's like, what was he rehearsing for? You know, but you got to be ready in church. You got to be ready for anything. You're certainly uh, giving yourself uh, to a higher being uh, on one song during this set at the Blue Note. So get ready. Walking.
Do you remember that moment during the the concert? Because you 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 come out. I'm gonna I'm gonna play it in the audience. But you're just like you you you're sort of like we're teleported somewhere like Mars, and then you come back and you're kind of reacclimating re yourself to the world. That's good, man. This is going well. Oh man, I don't know what happened on that last one. Yeah, I don't know. I can't explain it, but I do remember it. I remember I started tearing up and everything. I was like, man, why am I? What's going on? Like, oh, Lord. It's around the end of the song. Yeah. And I remember I remember when uh, Shawan, he played this fill. There's a fill that happens where, he, first of all, before before I say that, I remember we got to the, we got to the day. We haven't played. This is our first time playing this show together, you know? So he shows up with all of these drums. Yeah, like an eight inch time, a 10 inch time, a 12, a 14 and a 16. I'm like, boy, <laughs> like, where are you going with all these drums, you know? But we get to walk in and um, we started vamping over the A flat at the end of the song after the solo section. And I remember he goes, bang. I was like, oh, I'm happy. I'm like, oh my Lord. It felt like it was like something just changed. And then we just moved. We just stayed there for like, I don't know how many minutes, but it felt so good, you know? It felt like we was really in a, and it's like you said, the stratosphere. Like I felt like out of, out of my body. It was crazy. Thank you for taking us to outer space and good luck in the future. Good luck uh, with all of your Grammy stuff coming up. I hope you win them all. It's a new year, right? We're, we're hoping for good things. Let's leave you at the blue note with look at the bright side. Yeah. Thank you, Corey. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
Live in love. Live in peace. Grow in freedom. I believe that music is a universal language. Something that we all can understand. How many bodies? played in countries where people did not speak the same language as me but somehow they identify with the message I believe that music is one of our greatest unifiers especially at a time where there's so many things that's trying to divide us music can provide a source, a source of inspiration, something to remember tomorrow and the days after that we came together. Had a good time. So listening, live in love, live in peace, go with freedom. Have a good night. We just heard Look at the Bright Side recorded at the Blue Note Jazz Club in New York City back in September that was featured on our Toast of the Nation broadcast. Definitely, if you want to hear the whole set, we'll link to it on our website. We thank Corey Henry joining us talking about First Steps featuring Shawan Andrews on drums and Josh Easley on bass. Of course, Corey Henry on keys and the composer. Definitely make sure to check out his new album, Best of Me. And you will definitely want to follow him on social media. He is an absolute star in the space and he's constantly dropping all kinds of crazy videos that you need to check out. This podcast, The Checkout, is produced by WBGO Studios, so that means you need to check out all of our other podcasts in this network jazz united with nate chinen and greg bryant they have a show coming up on dilla that's gonna be awesome and also sports jam with doug doyle and while you're at it definitely follow us on social media we are hosting this year's virtual edition of the 18th anniversary of the winter jazz fest those videos are archived on our website at wbgo.org i'm simon rentner Thanks for checking this out.